This morning, like Justin alluded to, we're going to talk about maturity um, and what does maturity mean in the life of the church, in the life of the believer. And so for our purposes, the word maturity has synonyms, uh, growth. Whenever you see maturity in scripture, whenever you see growth, those things go hand in hand. And whenever you see sanctification, it's a combination of, of the two. It's spiritual growth. It is maturing in Christ. It is looking more and more like Christ. And so this is very much a family discussion. So as we come together as a family, as a body, we have a conversation like we would have in our own families. I know every parent's desire for their child is that they grow up into maturity. Is that they grow out of their immature way of doing things. Is that they grow up to be responsible and wise and strong and humble and godly and no longer do the things that children do that are signs of immaturity. That's our goal for our earthly families, but our Heavenly Father has the same goal for His children, that we grow up into maturity, that we look more and more like Christ. So what are some examples, maturity and immaturity? Think in our society, we don't have to look far to see examples of immaturity. It's almost like it's celebrated. Uh, there's this phenomenon, this semi-new term called helicopter parents, and you guys heard of this? So this is a term where parents do not want to let their children grow up and want to do everything for them, so they become a helicopter in their lives. They just float over top and do everything for them. Now this, you can't make this stuff up. There are moms going on job interviews with their children. There are parents going to college examination interviews with their children or even going ahead trying to talk to the admissions officer first, making a case for their child. This is a parent who doesn't understand the importance of maturity in the life of their, their child. They're almost encouraging immaturity. And there are so many other examples. Uh, but in a sense, continuing immaturity is similar to insanity. Not to say that it's insane to be immature, but it's the same kind of reasoning. Where if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, making the same mistakes and not learning from them, it's the definition of insanity. It's also the definition of immaturity. But biblical maturity is not that you don't make mistakes, because we all do. Let's get that right out. Paul said, I am chief among sinners, and I'm right behind him. But not that we don't make mistakes, but wisdom and maturity learns from our mistakes. That's the definition of biblical wisdom. Is that you take what you learn, you take knowledge, and you apply it to your life and you learn from it. That's simple wisdom. And that's a sign of maturity. Because maturity in the body is walking by faith. Maturity in the body is hiding God's word in our hearts. It's praying without ceasing and applying that biblical wisdom to our lives. Doesn't mean we have it all together, we have all the answers, but it's simply saying that my authority is in Scripture, that, that God is my Father, and Christ is my brother, and I want to walk and look more like Him and not sin the same way I sinned yesterday, because we will sin tomorrow. But continuing in the ways of our old flesh, as we'll see in a few moments, is a sign of immaturity. And why is maturity important? Well, because the Bible says so. I mean, it, scripture talks so much about growing up into the image of Christ. But why? Why is maturity a concern for God? 
Because the whole reason that Christ came, the whole reason that redemption is important, is because the Father wants us to look more like the Son. He redeemed us so that we wouldn't look like the world, so we would grow into the image of His Son and reflect His glory. God wants us to reflect Him. That is why maturity is important, because that's His desire for us. And not one of us can say that we don't need to mature. Not one of us, if you are truly in Christ, can say, I don't want to look more like Jesus. I'm okay being where I am. That's why maturity is so important. So this morning we're going to look at how do we recognize a mature person. Because in our culture we assume that maturity comes with age. And many times we assume that in the church as well. The biblical standard is much higher than just how many years you're on this planet. And too often the church is just concerned with whether someone prayed a prayer or shows up in church every Sunday or goes through the religious motions, but not really if there is a maturity of character. If there is a transformation by the Holy Spirit where someone desires to look like Christ and is beaten up over their own failures and rests and lays their souls before their Father, resting on His power to bring them into maturity. Because we are called to make disciples, not just converts. Don't just walk people into a prayer and leave them there. But disciples are learners. Disciples are those who grow and follow Christ every day of their lives. To be honest, this is one of my favorite topics. And to talk about Christian maturity is something that has been a conviction of mine for years. And then Peter connects it to food. One of my second or third favorite topics. So I could do this whole thing with just food illustrations, but I, I won't. You know, and when, when Justin and I came together and we first started talking, this was our primary concern. I mean, all cards on the table. We meet every Thursday afternoon. We talk about the things in the church. We talk about what our desire is for the body. And above all else, it is maturity in Christ. If anything gets in the way, let's just move it. Because we want every one of you, starting with us, to look more like Christ. We don't want to be clergy. We don't want to just stand up here and offer dictations and go back to our little caves. We want to be co-laborers and walk alongside you and say, here's how I stumbled and here's how the Lord picked me up. Walk alongside me. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that is the model for every believer. And, we, and we, don't, we don't hide that. And that we put above all else. That we put above our own preferences and little disputes and, and little things that, that may get in the way of our growing into Christ. Because as we're going to see in just a second, when Paul spoke to his congregations, time and time again, he wanted them to be mature. Because he knew what happened in immaturity. We know what, happened, what happens to immature children. They get into trouble. Sometimes bad trouble. And immature Christians get themselves into trouble. And by maturity, you can recognize the lies of the world that will lead us astray. And when we meet every Thursday, we pray fervently for you. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come and just spark a desire in you to grow in Christ. And that the Holy Spirit would keep us and our own pride from getting in the way. And so forgive us, forgive me 
if the processes ever get in the way of the people. If the desire to have things a certain way are ever more important than the people who Christ has redeemed to himself. That is something we can all share in because we all struggle there. And Paul, his primary concern in his letters is maturity. And we're going to see several of those. We're going to walk through those because I don't want you to be lazy. We're going to turn there together. It's not going to be on the screen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. We're going to read several passages, kind of lengthy passages, but Paul looks at exactly what we're talking about this morning. And when Paul writes to every church, he's focusing on maturity. He's clear on why he's writing them. So Ephesians chapter 4. Do you want to know what the purpose of the church is? The purpose of the ministry, the purpose of the pastors? Paul tells us explicitly. Everybody get there? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to the purpose of the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until, this is why we're doing this, we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. This means to the whole person that your entire mind, body, and soul is matured in Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the evil wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see how this works? The leaders in the church are supposed to equip the saints who minister together to look different than the world, to encourage one another and come together in unity, and then everyone grows. This is a picture of the church functioning well. It's a beautiful thing. Turn to the next book over. I made it easier for you. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I don't know what a good pastor sounds like, what a mature leader sounds like, what any person in any leadership role should sound like. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Man, this is humble leadership. I'm not perfect. I am trying to look more like Christ and I want to be an example for you. This is the heart of every pastor who loves the people that God has put under his care. 
And he wants to remind them to be mature. And we have to remind ourselves to come before the Lord and ask him, where are we immature? Where are we still acting like children? Where are we being tossed to and fro? Where is the culture dictating our lives? Next book over, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And if you didn't get it by now, you want to know what it feels like to be a pastor? Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. You know what the charge is for every person put in charge of the body of Christ? Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Two verses. Stop there. Not just some of you, not just the select few, not just those who are more gifted than others. If you are in Christ, the goal of the church is to raise you up into maturity. Everyone. Without exception. We are to look more like Christ every day. And how does that feel? Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is struggling against his own flesh, leaning on the power of the Lord. Recognizing that that's where his ability comes from. And he powerfully works within those who labor in the gospel to bring the church into maturity. Now, that being in mind, Paul, our example as a pastor in the early church, writing to the Ephesians, to those in Colossae, to the Philippians, be mature, be raised up in Christ. This is my desire for you. This is what I struggle with. And it is a struggle. When you struggle, when you hurt, when you ask for prayer, when you ask for guidance, we wrestle with you. We pray with you. We bear one another's burdens first by example. That's why James tells us, don't be quick to become a teacher. So there's a lot that goes along with it. It's not just standing up here and crafting a sermon. If you really want to be a pastor, a shepherd, who walk with people throughout the week, show them what it looks like to live like Christ so that they can show it to others. That's the church. In the mud together, waist deep. Day after day. Let's look at our text in 1 Peter. So I'm going to start reading where Justin was last week. Because remember, uh, these English uh, chapter and section uh, breaks. Um, The chapter and verses didn't come along until about 1200 AD. Normally when these letters are read, they're read consecutively. And so many times we'll, we'll take this big pause between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we can't do that. This, this passage is so dependent on what Justin talked about last week. So we're going to start reading in 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Remembering everything that we talked about before, uh, that Peter tells us about being born again, about living in our salvation, and what it looks like to be holy in the people of God. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. 
through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, help us sinners. Help me, a sinner, to get over ourselves. To not want to look more like the world, not want to look more like our ideal version of ourselves, but to look more like Jesus. Help us to see growing and maturity in you as our deepest desire. To want to please you with our thoughts and our actions and our affections. Let's pray that this message this morning would convict and guide and lead and teach each one of us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in like a three-sentence summary, what was, the, what was the purpose of the passage last week? Remember, when you read it like that without taking a break between chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see how much chapter 2 builds on chapter 1. Paul, Peter... Peter reminds us that we are born again. We talk about in our Bible studies, what words are repeated? He repeats something three times. Anybody catch it? At the end of chapter one, what's repeated three times? Anyone? Word. The end of chapter one, word is is repeated three times. Look at verse 22. Uh... No, verse 23, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. We are born again through the word. And we grow up in the word. The one thing that is unchanging in all of this is God's word. That's what this whole passage is about. Because through the word we are born into holiness. And born into brotherly love. And through the, through the word... We continue to grow. And so when Peter gets into this next section and we break it up with chapter 2, verse 1, he wants, like Paul said, the maturity of the whole man. So he's going to look at all of our uh, faculties. He's going to look at our heart, our head and our hands. And he's going to make the argument from the lesser to the greater. What do I mean there? He starts with the actions, the least of all of our faculties. And then he appeals to the mind, our, our, our thoughts. And he goes back to the root of it all. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? First our hearts are transformed. Then our minds think differently and then our actions are affected. And so Peter is walking us back here. Looking in our text, Peter is saying that your actions shouldn't be this. Because your mind isn't this. Because your heart isn't this. Let's look at that. Beginning in verse 1. So, put away all malice. This is not independent of itself. This is based on what we just looked at. Since you've been born again, since you've been born again by the word, since you've been born into holiness, put these things away. We know this language, right? 
Paul mentions this many times, putting away the old self. Colossians 3, put away the old self. This is actually clothing language. This is take off your dirty, stinking garment. Take off your clothes that look like the world and put on a royal robe. Put on the whole armor of God. Put off the old self. Put on the new. There's this great tradition in the early church where after baptism, they, many times uh, when we have baptismal services, we have people go into the water, we have them wear white. But the church had this beautiful thing where they would walk into the water in their normal clothes. They would get soaking wet in their normal clothes, and when they came out, they would change into a white garment. They wanted them to, to not only go through the act of baptism, but to see it visually. Because this means that you have died with Christ, that you rose again with him, and he has made you spotless like him. This beautiful picture of taking off the old self. And what is the old self? So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Repetition. The Hebrews teach by repetition. What is repeated? All. Not just some sins, not just some of your malice, not just malice toward this person or this thing, but all of it. Put away all of the wicked things. Put all those things behind us. And if you look at this list, it covers each one of us pretty much every day. This, this word malice is kind of the desire that's underneath all of our other evil thoughts. It's what pits us against each other. It's wishing something wicked to happen to someone else. It's comparing yourself to others. It's malice. This all wickedness encompassed. And then we can just go down and down the line. But all these affect the brotherly love at the end of chapter 1. You can't love your brother if there's malice in your heart. You can't love your brother if you're deceitful in your conduct. You can't love your brother if you're hypocritical in the way that you live, the way that you speak to one another. You can't love your brother if you envy what they have or slander them. All these things inhibit brotherly love. And if our love for one another is affected, especially in the body of Christ, our ability to grow is affected. So Peter's saying, put these things behind you, because if you don't, you can't grow. John tells us, how can you love your father who you haven't seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen? This is a serious indictment because... We like individualism in our culture, right? Well, this is just between me and God. I can hate this person and love God over here. I'm saying, no, you can't grow in me. You can't mature in me if you have slander and wickedness and malice in your heart. Like Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, reconcile with your brother before you come to give your offering. God won't accept it. Put away your old Self. Put away the things that the world does. The world bickers. The world lifts themselves up. But we, we bring ourselves down. We become lesser so that Christ can lift us up. Like James told us. Because let's be honest. If we weren't Christians, most of us wouldn't hang out together. We wouldn't pick each other as friends. You know, I had a great conversation with someone this week talking about, but we have Christ in common. 
realizing we have Christ in common, we have everything in common. And what an amazing reminder that is for the body. Because we're going to look different, we're going to talk different, we're going to think different. But God has made us different, not so that we can focus on those differences, but so that we can complement each other. Now, what did Paul say in Ephesians? That if the, all the members are working together, the body will grow. Not everyone is a finger, not everyone is a hand, not everyone is a foot, not everyone is a mouth. But we rejoice in how God made us and how God made others. We put away our old selves so we can grow together. read this great, uh, was reading this great book. It's going to take me a while to read it. Uh, it's, it's by A.W. Pink, one of my favorite authors. It's, it's, it's a book on the prayers of Paul. So just going through all Paul's letters and how he prays for the church and how his pastoral example comes forth in the prayers. And when Paul talks about unity in the body, I love what Pink says here. He says, Paul is not seeking unity of opinion, but harmony of feeling. I love that. Not seeking unity of opinion, but harmony of feeling. Every one of us is going to want to do things differently. But we should, want, we should seek to grow in love for one another so much that we love their differences. Obviously, we don't, we don't compromise on our convictions, but we grow in affection toward one another because Christ loved us so much that we can grow in him. As we grow in Christ, we grow toward affection in one another and vice versa. Our unity is because of and for the sake of of Christ. And we can't do that if we're still holding on to the old things. So with that being our foundation, it's the positive end of this. Put away your old self, first two, like newborn infants. Let's stop right there. So we looked at our new actions, so we're not like the old self. And now we're going to look at our new thoughts, our new way of thinking, our new way of processing. Maturity is about dependency. Maturity is about dependency on the Lord. A newborn. What can a newborn do for itself? Absolutely nothing. Other than breathe, sometimes that doesn't even always work out. Uh, The newborn is completely dependent on nourishment from the mother. And in a sense, we are to be like that our entire Christian lives. We are so dependent on the things of God that we can't eat, sleep, think, or breathe without being reliant on Him. And as children of obedience, we come to the Father like a child, like Jesus told us to. Needing our spiritual nourishment. To be as dependent on the Lord as a child is to his mother. And not in an immature sense where we stay children forever, but in a familial sense where the child is so longs for the spiritual milk. How do newborns let you know that they're hungry? They scream. They don't know what else to do. I'm hungry. Feed me now. It's the picture Peter's giving us. That's how we long for our spiritual nourishment. Sometimes we're, we're cranky. You know, we haven't been fed in a while. You ever get hangry? You know, you're so hungry that you're angry. If you ever get away from your source of nourishment, your source of life, 
the word, this spiritual milk, you will get angry. You will get cantankerous. But long for this spiritual milk. Seek hunger for righteousness. Thirst for the things of God. Remember when you heard the gospel for the first time? Remember when your eyes were opened for the first time? When you understood, wait a second, this applies to me. I no longer have to live like this, but now I get to live like this. That God loves me so much. He sent his son for me that I could be called a child of God. Remember how when your eyes were open, you saw everything for the first time? This wonderment, like where are all these colors and smells that I never knew existed? That's what it means to come before the Lord as a child. To never lose that sense of wonder. Never lose that excitement we get when we think about the things of God. Because His mercies are new every morning. If you study Scripture every day of your life, you will never get to its depths. It will continue to grow you and challenge you day after day and week after week. We should always long for the spiritual milk. Let's talk about this for a moment. This term, spiritual milk, is not used anywhere else in Scripture. It's, it's, it's very unique. Um, it's actually literally milk of the word. Um, lagos is a word in, in Greek that basically means the height of understanding, the essence of what is. That's why when John, in the first words of his gospel, said, in the beginning was the word, logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Because the Greeks kept looking for higher understanding and greater reasoning. And John is saying, no, the highest understanding is God himself. So when Peter tells us to grow up in spiritual milk, grow up in logos, grow up in the word, this pure spiritual milk that feeds our reasoning, our understanding, that feeds the essence of who you are. It feeds your spirit. That's why it's called spiritual milk in our translation. Just like babies are dependent on milk for everything, we are dependent on the Word of God. Just like babies are dependent on God, on their mother's milk for everything that they need, we need to be that dependent on the Word of God. And one of the benefits of being in the Word of God is that we're reminded of our own sin. We're reminded of our own need for grace. We're reminded of the grace that has been shown us, and we can show grace to others, and we can put our old selves away. And we can grow into the image and maturity of Christ. You know, milk is interesting. Um, we just go through our lives, and we think about things that are just daily and, and routine. Um, I was watching this great documentary about food and the benefits of food and it's amazing that I can see people talk about all the intricacies of how food works and milk works and still credit it to evolution. That's just me <laughs> just stepping aside for a moment. But they're talking about how milk is the perfect food. How for a baby, every nutrient, every enzyme, every protein, every vitamin that the baby needs comes from the mother's milk. It is the perfect food. And it is pure coming from the mother's, unadulterated which Justin said is the only way to drink milk, that not everyone has a cow in their backyard, but Justin said if you're going to drink milk, drink one that is unpasteurized, that comes straight from the cow. I'll have to try it one day. But this spiritual milk that comes to the baby is pure from the mother. It is unfiltered. It is everything that that baby needs. And what's also more amazing is that the 
composition of that milk grows as the baby grows. So as the baby grows up and it needs different levels of proteins and, and vitamins, the milk from the mother, this amazing product of evolution, adjusts itself to the life of the baby. It's incredible that God so provided for little ones that he gives them exactly what they need on week one, on week two, on week three, week 25. And God's word does the same thing. When we are babes and pick up the Bible for the first time and we don't know where to start, it's amazing how much we learn. Those of us who have been reading the Bible for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, isn't it amazing how much we learn? That as we grow, the composition of Scripture grows with us. It deepens us. It challenges us no matter where we are in our walk. The same way that God provides for babies in their spiritual milk, He provides for us in our spiritual milk. And Peter gets this. And Peter understands how dependent we need to be on God's word. Back in, ver back in verse 2. Like newborn infants longing for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. How do you grow up into salvation? By it. What was repeated three times at the end of chapter 1? Word. That by the word, by this spiritual milk, you will grow up. You want to be mature in Christ? Has to be in God's word. Can't be apart from it. We are so dependent on it that if we want to grow into our salvation, we must grow through the word. We looked at this in chapter 1 that Peter talks about us being, uh, us having been saved, us being saved, and us uh, will be saved when Christ comes again. That our salvation is like our sanctification. It is growing. It is maturing. We are growing into who we are. Uh, one of the greatest uh, quotes that's, that's affected me, um, Herman Bovink, this Dutch uh, theologian, if you want light reading, it's not it. But if I read way too much um, and I get one sentence out of it, he talks about becoming who you are. I love that. Becoming who you are. Because we're not trying to become children of God. We are children of God. And this is how we learn who we are. This is how we grow into who we are, by being rooted in God's word, by putting away the old self. Become who you are. Grow up into salvation through God's word. How well is your child going to grow not attached from her mother? Let's, let's forget about you know, formula and all these other things. Naturally speaking, if your child is away from her mother, it will die. we are aware, away from our source of spiritual milk, we will struggle. We will stay in immaturity and we will not grow. This is how vital and how important this is. This word here for growth is actually used to refer to physical growth. So when a child literally grows, when their bones and their muscles grow. So in order to grow, just like they need milk to grow, you need scripture. You need God's word to grow. One of my favorite pastors to listen to, uh, Vodi Bakum, has this great illustration of, of how we should view maturity. And, it's, and it's, it's kind of a sad commentary. But he says, the, the church is the only institution where we accept um, mediocrity and immaturity in some of its oldest members. Think about this. He gives an example of if you're a bricklayer and you've been on the job for 30 years, 
And a new guy comes on and he says, teach me everything you know. He said, I don't know anything. I'm just a simple person. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a mason. I can't teach you anything. You've been here for 30 years. How often do we accept that in the church? I'm not a pastor. I, I, I can't teach you anything. Do we, want to be, do we want to see others come up into maturity? Do we want, to stay, we want everyone to stay in maturity? And this is a false gospel that is in our culture. That it's just the pastors. It's just the elite few who can grow up into maturity. That is a lie. Because nowhere else, no other, no other association would we ever accept people being something for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and still being babies. You would never accept that in your job, but we accept that in the church. We don't take this command to grow up into maturity spiritually. And this is a weight that pastors should feel. This is a weight that every believer should, should, should feel. I want to grow in Christ. I want to look more like my father. I don't want to keep sucking my thumb for the rest of my life. And every one of us has room to grow. Every one of us. And growth looks different. And it's important to recognize that because growth is different in others, we can help them. We can help others who struggle in ways that, that we don't. And we can ask for help in ways where we struggle. Because maturity comes in unity. Because like Paul told us, when the body comes together, it grows together. The more you grow and the more you mature, the more you will taste the goodness of God. Um, this one will be up on your screen. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 14.20. Brothers, do not be like children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. I love that. How are we to be like a child, to be infant and evil, to be young and so oblivious to the things of the world because our minds are so transformed by the gospel, to grow into maturity? Be infants and evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Remember, he's making this argument from the lesser to the greater. He's looking at the actions, he's looking at the thoughts, and now he's looking at the affections, verse 3. If indeed... Sorry, back in 1 Peter 1. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. All this is dependent on your tasting of the good things of the Lord. We read Psalm 34 as our call to worship. Taste and see that the Lord is good because those who trust in him lack no good thing. If indeed, if in fact your heart has been transformed, then your thoughts are transformed and your actions have been transformed. This is the maturity of the whole man that Paul talks about. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you tasted the sweetness of knowing that you are reconciled to the creator of the universe through the Son, perfect sacrifice? Have you tasted that? And if you have, do you still taste it? When was the last time you tasted and saw that the Lord is good. When was the last time you reminded yourself of the goodness of the Lord? Not often enough. We know that. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to remind us of the work of God in our lives. Taste and see. Experience the love and the grace of God. Because, when, because if you taste the love of God, like that spiritual milk, your mind will change. 
Your mind will be renewed. And your actions will change. You'll be convicted about what you do. It starts all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So simple, right? No. It's hard. But it starts with the love of the Lord. It starts with our affections being on the things of God. So how do we conclude this morning? Maturity. Like Peter tells us, maturity requires three things. First, putting away the ways of the world. Repentance. Turning from the rest of the world. Turning from the immature things of this life. And turning to and feeding on the word of God. Drinking living water. Spiritual milk. Growing in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And in that, we taste and see that the Lord is good. By being in scripture, we are reminded of all of the blessings we share in Christ. Got a couple questions. I want you to write these down. Because you haven't been taking notes up to this point, you should. Oh, I forgot to mention that um, the questions in the bulletin are wrong, but there's an extra insert if you have children uh, for the family follow-up. But I want you to write these down, and these are questions for all of us. And ask yourself these questions during the week. Have I put away the old things? Have I put away the old garments of the world? Have I put away the malice and the slander and the envy and the bitterness? Question two. Do I desire spiritual milk? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yeah. Do I desire spiritual milk? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or am I content with feeding myself on the spiritual equivalent of junk food? Question one, have I put away the old things? Question two, do I desire spiritual milk? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Question three, have I tasted that the Lord is good? And do I continually taste that the Lord is good? Do you want to grow? Do you think you need to grow? What do we do? How do we grow? How do we apply this to our lives? simple and it's difficult stay rooted in God's word come together as a family family devotions come together as the body encourage one another in scripture be so rooted in scripture that you know how to use the sword of the spirit and no weapons of the enemy can be formed against you we love to quote that that verse no weapon formed against me shall prosper not on your own strength they'll all prosper if you do it on your own strength if you are rooted in God's word, if you are in unity with the body, nothing this world can ever 
shake which you have in Christ. So I want to finish with with one passage uh, in the book of Hebrews. What is the difference between immaturity and maturity? And the writer of Hebrews uses milk in a slightly different way. They use milk as a contrast between uh, milk for babies and and solid food. This is not the same way Peter's using it. Um, But it's using a similar analogy to look at immaturity and maturity. So Hebrews chapter 5, I think we're starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basics of the principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. That's immaturity. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Remember, we're to be child in evil, not child in our thinking. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us this is a person who's a child in their thinking. Okay, keep going. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Do we want to be the immature or do we want to be the mature? Do we want to be the babes who stay on milk? Or do we want to be those who by constant practice grow into maturity? Because the writer of Hebrews is talking about this in the context of apostasy. Those who fall away from the church. Those who fall away are the immature. Let us be mature. Let us be people who are rooted in God's word, who grow up into his image by constant practice. Let's pray. Lord, you are perfect in every way. You are completely holy, completely set apart. How can we ever seek to look like you? But yet you give us your spirit because you want us to reflect you. Lord, help us in our frailty. Help us in our weakness to look more like you. Help us to put away the old things so we can love one another and grow with one another. Help us to repent of our sins before you. Help us to long for spiritual milk. And help us to taste your goodness. Because you are so good, it is palatable. There are a lot of voices in this world who want us to be apart from you, who want us to be apart from one another. Lord, we are your people, your children. We are called by your name. We want to be found mature in you. This is my prayer for myself in this body and for all believers worldwide that we look more like Jesus every day.